0: Gospel of Jesus according to Mark, chapter number 14. And in this section, um, Jesus has uh, gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed that the cup might pass. And he said, but not my will, thine be done. The hour has come. And he rises and he says, let us go. He that betrayeth me is at hand. Well, Judas comes immediately with the army and they... Um, arrest him and Jesus says in verse 48 he answered and said unto them are you come out against, against a thief with swords and staves to take me I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you took me not but the scriptures must be fulfilled and they all forsook him and fled and there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body and the young men laid hold on him And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even to the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death and found them. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And with three days I will build another made without hands. Mm-hmm. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it? which these witnesses against thee. But he held his peace and answered him nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Mm -hmm. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Mm -hmm. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? And ye have heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit upon him, and cover his face, and to buffet him, and saying to him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they stood by and said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean. And thy speech agreeth thereto. He began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereupon, he wept. Uh, this morning I'd like for us to consider the faithful servant faithful servant. Um, Shortly before his death in the early 30s, J. J. Gresham Machen sent a telegram to his friend John Murray. He's a Presbyterian pastor and he said, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. He was not a perfect man. Machen wasn't, but he was a courageous man. He wrote a book called uh, uh, Christianity and Liberalism, where he stood against uh, liberals who were infiltrating into um, the seminaries and writing and trying to destroy the Christian faith. And he was a stalwart against uh, this push to liberalism. He took a lot of shots and a lot of attacks, and and he was persecuted by many people in his own uh, denomination because he stood for those essential truths. He was a very courageous man, but he wasn't perfect. And that's why when he was lying on his deathbed, he didn't reflect on all that he had done and all that he had stood for. As he he neared his own death, what occupied his mind was what Christ had done for him. The act of obedience of Christ, no hope without it. Christ died for our sins. But he didn't just wipe the slate clean and let us start over. He lived a perfect life for us Amen. and gave us his righteousness and died a substitutionary death for us because that righteousness also is required for us to enter into the kingdom of God. So he, wiped, he cleansed us of our sins, but he lived a perfect life for us. Amen. In this text that I read, there is, um, there's two parts to it. There, you had uh, a beginning part with the, the fleeing of the disciples, then you had Jesus on trial, and then it wraps up with Peter's denial. And so in our text, sandwiched between two scenes of great failure, we see the perfect, faithful, suffering servant yes. bearing the shame for his people. Yes. So let's consider the Christ's steadfast love and faithfulness this morning and that backdrop against the, the shame of the disciples. And the first thing we saw was the shame of desertion. So, not long before this, in verse 31, the disciples uh, vehemently denied that they would forsake Jesus. Jesus said, I would, uh, I'm i about to die, and you're all going to forsake me. And they vehemently, no, we will not. Right. Despite the Lord's warnings, they were all very confident of this one thing, that they would be faithful to the end. But when Judas came in the night with an army behind him and they actually arrested him, when it all went down, they ran. And Mark tells us, a, it's, a, a, it's kind of a strange story there, isn't that there was one man who was there and they grabbed the hold of it. They were going to arrest him. So it was probably night. It was only Peter, James, and John that went with Jesus to Gethsemane to pray. And so the rest of the guys were probably sleeping. It was well into the night and maybe he had his coat off and using it for a blanket and the army comes in and he wakes up and, and runs but he didn't grab his cloak and put it back on and so when they arrested Jesus and they all fled, one somebody grabbed a hold of this guy's uh, tunic grabbed his linen cloth and he took off running and they, they yanked it off of him so there he goes running out through the Mount of Olives naked in the middle of the night wow Now this perfectly illustrates what happened to the disciples. In the heat of the moment, they were stripped of all their bravado and their arrogance and their self-sufficiency. It was easy to talk big in, in the daytime whenever they were um, together in the upper room or when they were walking with Jesus. It was easy to talk big. Oh, I'll die for you. I'll never, I'll never do that. I would never do something that bad. Maybe you've been watching the news and seen one of those videos Where something terrible happens and you say, why are all those people just standing there? I would never do that. I would do something. I wouldn't just stand there and watch this terrible thing happen. Well, it's easy for us to say such things in the comfort of our living room when we're thousands of miles away from the situation. And that's what happened. We'd all like to think we'd do something courageous and the disciples had uh, no doubt every intention of doing that. They were sincere, no doubt, in their desire to stand with the Lord. They wanted to stand and they thought that they would do so with no hypocrisy or malice in their hearts. But here we see the fruit of their self-sufficiency. This young man running through the Mount of Olives sums up what they had in them of themselves, their own power. He ran away and was shamed naked and ashamed, outside the garden. I I thought about this. It reminded me of another instance in the garden where you had people naked and ashamed because of their their failure. Adam and Eve, after they had sinned and their eyes were opened, saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. They tried to cover themselves. They tried to hide their shame and their failure um, in the Garden of Eden. And here we see the failure and the shame of Jesus' trusted men. If there was anybody that was going to stand with Jesus, it would be these, these guys. Judas betrayed him, and the other 11 fled. They failed. They had no strength within themselves. Despite their best intentions, best efforts, they were exposed for what they are. They were open. And you and I, we can, we can hide from other people. We can hide from our friends. We can hide from our family. We can't hide from God. We were open and naked and bare before him. He can see He can see into your heart and into your mind. He knows who you are. He knew who the disciples were because he told them what was going to happen. Oh, we're not like that, Jesus. No, he knew what they had in them. And that's why he had to go. That's why he had to die. Because without them, his, his sheep, as Brother Melo brought out, uh, very well, his sheep needed the shepherd. They needed a Passover lamb to die for them. They were weak and needy without help and without hope. Then the scene shifts. And now we go from this shame of desertion to see the suffering servant. Starting in verse uh, 53. The suffering servant, we follow Jesus back to where the high priest and the chief priest and the scribes and the elders were all assembled ready and waiting. So Peter falls at a distance and he goes into the outer court to watch what was going to happen. So he didn't run away and hide, but he wasn't exactly there in the midst of it. He was he was sort of trying to be incognito, warming himself by the fire. One man said, uh, while Jesus is under fire inside, Peter is warming himself by the fire outside. Yeah. Jesus is on trial. And if you just scan your eyes down, starting in verse 55, you'll notice something over and over again. You see a word that's repeated over, a witness, a witness, a false witness, a false witness. Over and over again, they want someone to give testimony, to declare what they know and what they have seen. They need evidence to put Jesus to death. Normally in a, in a criminal trial, that would come first right first you have evidence of a crime then you arrest somebody and then you put them on trial but this uh, but when you're plotting murder truth and justice and fairness and righteousness that's just a trifling thing so first they say we need to get rid of jesus then we have to make something up we'll worry about evidence and charges and all that kind of stuff later so they're trying to get somebody to to say something but they can't get two people to agree on the lie that they're telling well in verse 57 you get a false witness telling a half-truth. Right, well, he, well, he said that I heard him say it, that he was going to destroy the temple made with hands and three days build another temple made without hands. Well, is that what Jesus said? Well, sort of. It's a half-truth. You take a half-truth and spin it in a way that, that puts words in someone's mouth, that's, that's a full lie. And that's the worst sort of lies, is to take something that's just a little bit true, and, but it's not what the person meant. Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. And the Jews were saying, we've been building this temple for 46 years and you're going to tear it down in three days and build it back up again? But he spake of the temple of his body, John tells us. Amen. He meant whenever the temple of his body would die, and in three days he would rise from the dead. Well, these, these liars said, no, he said it. We heard him. He's going to tear the temple down stone by stone and build it back without using any hands. That's, they took what Jesus said, but they didn't. They twisted it, and that's not what he meant. So, yeah, watch people who take the words of God, what it says, and then twist it to mean something that it doesn't mean. So that's what they were doing. So the high priest stood up and said, you're not going to defend yourself? What do you say against these false witnesses, these false charges? Jesus sat there, oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, a sheep before the shearers, dumb. So he opened not his mouth, as it says in Isaiah 53, 7. Imagine that. Jesus is on trial in the middle of the night before these wicked men falsely accusing him and you got witness after witness coming i saw him do this i heard him say that all lies and jesus sits there or stands there and doesn't say anything aren't you going to answer for yourself jesus and he doesn't respond he didn't need to come back to their lies. he was not compelled to defend himself against these baseless accusations. Remember, they're trying to put him to death, they're they're lying about him, drumming up false charges. What would you do in a situation like that? Has anybody ever lied to you or about you? What's the most natural, instinctive thing that you want to do? You want to set the record straight. You You want to get out in front of what people are saying and say, no, that's not correct. You you've been you're being lied to. You don't you want to defend yourself. But here, Christ meekly and patiently stands and opens not, not his mouth. This is this is true meekness. Yes. He had the power to and the, the the strength of himself not to respond to to take that and let God. The father be the judge because he came to die for sinners I know what I would probably do and you know what you would probably do but see the faithfulness of Jesus Christ who put us ahead of himself in this situation because he had come not to get off on the charges but he had come to die and so meekly and with great strength, he, he was silent. It's a, a wonderful thing that the Lord did here for us. Yes. Against the backdrop of these lies, Jesus is faithful. Andrew. So the high priest asked him again, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus answers this time. Um, the other gospel said that he was adjured, that he was compelled to that the, the priest and his uh, authority um, is putting him in a position to answer the charges and so Jesus answered and said, I am. Amen. And We know that God revealed himself in in Exodus to Moses as I am that I am. Amen. And we know that from the high priest's reaction they knew what Jesus meant. People say, well, Jesus never says that he was God in the New Testament. Well. They've never read the new testament or haven't read it very closely if you say that because the high priest knew what jesus meant because they said he blasphemed the other thing that jesus said here was that he is so he is the christ yes i am the christ yes i am the son of god son of the Blessed. yes i am and you shall see the son of man so yes i am the son of man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds Amen. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, and verse 13. And there, we won't read it, but if you go back and study that out, this talks about God descending, the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, coming in glory. So you think Son of Man, you think that's talking about Jesus and his humanity, but in reality, Daniel 7 shows us that it's talking about his divinity. And so Christ said, "Yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am the Son of Man, and you will see me on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of glory, which Amen. Daniel seven prophesied." Amen. Yeah. What an answer! Yes, I. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is I am that I am. He is the Son of Man, from everlasting to everlasting. He is the Lord, and as Psalm one. 10, 1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Right. He is the Lord, Jehovah. He is David's Lord. Amen. In that answer, all these things are there. And so when the high priest heard that, he knew what Jesus was saying. And he was filled with indignation. Oh, how dare someone say such a thing? So he, he said, What further need we have any witness? We don't need any other witnesses. You heard him Say to himself, his clothes were rent, because that's what they did when they heard blasphemy. He was angry that Jesus declared who he was. Now, Jesus knew what would happen when he said that, but he he boldly declared the truth about himself. He had already shown his power. He had already proven it through the scriptures, but the priest hated that he said this you've heard this blasphemy, what do you think? And they all said, he needs to be put to death. So some spat on him, show how much contempt they had for him. Because putting putting him to death wasn't enough. So they had to mock him, and spit on him, and beat on him. They said, prophesy, prophesy. Which is kind of ironic, because in verse 33 of the same chapter, um, Jesus said, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be very sore, or, no, I'm sorry, in chapter 10. It didn't sound right when I started reading it. Uh, Mark 10:33. 33. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest, and to the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and scourge him, and spit upon him, and they shall kill him, the third day shall rise again. It's all prophesy, Jesus, laughing. Tell us what's going to happen. Tell us who's hitting you. Prophesy. He already did. He already did say who would hit him and who would, who would he would be delivered unto and what they would do to him. All right. yeah. Amen. The Son of God came and they hated him, just like the parable that he told of the son being sent. Uh, the farmer had a farm. He leased it out. The farmers took it over. They killed the servants. and they said, well, I'll send my son They'll listen to him, and they killed him, and Jesus said, you are those people. They, the Son came, and they hated him. Yeah. Christ came, and they rejected him. We're looking for the Messiah to come. He's come. We're, that's our hope, they would say. The Messiah will come. Well, he comes. Well, we don't like this Messiah. The prophet came, and they wouldn't hear him. It says in Deuteronomy 18 that... Uh, God would send a prophet like Moses He said, when he comes, you better listen to him yeah. and the prophet comes prophesy they they mock him. Uh-huh. But in all of this, Jesus was faithful Amen. He never wavered. he never tried to back out of it. he never he never sinned with his mouth in his heart in his mind. he was stalwart as a suffering servant as all this, injustice and and these crimes and this hatred is being poured out upon the the Son of God. He didn't look around and say, I came to die for you worthless sinners and, and my disciples betrayed me and and the my own countrymen have forsaken me. Forget it. No, he was faithful. In the midst of this sin and in justice and in righteousness, he was faithful. Amen. Well, the scene ends. And now we go back outside to Peter. Peter out by the fire. Yeah. Now we see the shame of denial. So we had the shame of desertion. Um, everybody ran, but Peter didn't run too far, but he's not too close either. So he's out on the outside. One of the maids come along and say, hey, she recognized him, he's you're one of these men that was with Jesus. I, I've seen you around here before. I, I know who you are. Jesus or Peter said, "Nah, I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking crazy." And he lied about it and said, you know, "Try to keep his cover." But Jesus told Peter, "You're going to deny me, and not only will you deny me, but you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows twice." Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and said, "How oh, that'll never happen," Jesus. That maid comes along, hey, you're with Jesus. I don't know. Jesus, and I don't know what you're talking about. And the rooster crows. He goes along somewhere else, and another maid says, hey, this is one of him. He's one of Jesus' guys. Peter denied it again. Then people start getting suspicious of Peter. Mm-hmm. He said, wait a second. You, you don't sound like you're from around here. <laughs> You know, I can tell by your accent, you're a Galilean. You are one of them. And then Peter begins to deny it. You move around, you go from one place in the country to another, and you start like we moved to, to Georgia uh, once, and I started talking. They said, "You're not from around here, are you?" <laughs> you no. Know, yeah. No, my speech betrayed me, and that's what happened to Peter. You're not. You're a Galilean, and you are one of him. We can tell. Then he began to curse and swear. I don't know this man. Well, the rooster crowed again. and Then Peter remembered what Jesus said. Before the cock crowed twice, you shall deny me thrice. Mm -hmm. Peter thought about that and he just wept. Peter loved Jesus, there's no doubt about it. But Peter could not drink that cup that they were all so confident in. We can drink the cup that you, you have to drink. We can, we can be baptized with the baptism that you're going to be baptized with. They couldn't. Peter failed Jesus. Yeah. Peter did not stand. He, he did not remain faithful. He didn't keep his word. He was, he was proud, yes, but he was weak. And let's not be like Peter and sit here and say, well, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have made it this far, probably. Yeah. We wouldn't have been as close as Peter was. Right. The point is, not let's all laugh at Peter. The point is, amidst all this failure, we see the backdrop of the faithful one. That Jesus was faithful when all men, even the strongest and the bravest, were not. The fleeing and forsaking disciples ran away in shame. Peter, the bold one, often the representative of the apostles. He would always speak up for him. Somebody, uh, Jesus would ask a question, it's usually Peter's the one that's going to answer and everybody else will say, yeah, what Peter said. So here we have a representative of the apostles, the chosen ones, the closest to the Lord, and he denied the Lord. This shows us that no one could withstand that hour. No one could drink that cup except for Jesus. All the while, the Lord was faithful. He didn't waver, he didn't falter, he didn't stumble. Though Peter denied him, Jesus boldly declared that he was the Christ. Though there was false witnesses by the enemies, and even a false witness by Peter, Jesus said, I am. There was no equivocation, there was no trying to dodge the issue. Adam failed as our representative, and he was running and hiding, naked in the shame. Peter failed as the leader of the apostles. And you and I are in any any better situation. You ever been ashamed of something that you've done? Some sin that's so bad that even now, maybe it hurts you to think about it. My Come into your mind every once in a while, and you just blush or cringe, and, and you just almost hate yourself for it. You, you think about it. Imagine how Peter felt as he wept. There's nothing to people, you can't go back and fix that. You, know, you, you wreck, wreck your car, you run into somebody's fence, you can go back and pay for the fence, you can tell them you're sorry, you can rebuild a, a relationship if that was. You, can, you can't go back and fix this. This happened in a moment in time and he can't do anything about it. Oh, how ashamed Peter must have felt. That's sad news, isn't it? That's bad news for us. Because we've all sinned. and We've all got stuff that we're ashamed that we have done. And we can't go back in time and, and erase it. And we can't go back and change it. That's what it is. And the temptation is just to bury it, to forget about it, to cover it up, to hide it, to sew up fig leaves and and hide our shame. But remember, we're we're naked and open before the Lord. And as much as even a, as Christians who would who would come out on a Saturday, on a nice day like it is today, and come in to hear preaching, as much as we want to be faithful and good and righteous, we have failed and we will fail, and. There's not enough righteousness. It's not, our righteousness is as filthy rags on our own. But Jesus was faithful. The sinless, spotless lamb of God was perfectly righteous. He never broke God's law. And there is this perfect representative who did everything right, every thought right, every action right, every intention right. The, the perfect man, the lamb without blemish, as our substitute. Not to give us a hand, not to help us to do his part that we do our part. He came to die for sinners. He came to die for Peter. He came to die for me. And those sins that I'm so ashamed of, to pay for those sins, but then to be faithful for me, who so often am not faithful. That awful sin you committed, Jesus knows all about it. And dear Christian, he loves you anyway because he paid for your sin. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you despite how awful that you are. And he comes and he cleanses you and he clothes you with his righteousness. There's no need to hide from God. Isn't that silly that Adam and Eve hid from God the 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 all-knowing, all-seeing God. How are you going to hide from God? Christian, know that Christ died for your sins and that you were forgiven and you can come to Him and confess your faults and He's not going to reject you. He's going to forgive you and cleanse you and restore you. That you are safe in Christ because Jesus paid it all. You are assured that you are forgiven and pure. Not because of your righteousness, but because the righteousness of Christ. There's no hope without it. Or maybe you don't know Jesus and you've heard these stories millions of times and you just think about the rooster crowing. But there was another man there too that had forsaken the Lord. His name was Judas. Uh And Judas cried too. And Judas felt really bad about what he did. Uh Judas was ashamed and he beat himself up so much so that he went and killed himself. Mm-hmm. That's how bad he felt about his sin. That's how guilty he felt. Yeah. But as the hymn writer said, Could my tears forever flow? Oh. And could my zeal no longer know? These for sin cannot atone. That's right. Christ must save and Christ alone. That's yeah. right. Old Judas felt so bad. And you might feel guilty about your sins and you might be ashamed and you might think, well, if I beat myself up and if I feel bad enough and if I hate myself enough, then God will think that's a good enough penance for salvation. But I tell you that it's not. Judas took his own life, thought that his death would bring an end to his shame, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. Christ must save because Christ Forgives, Come and be forgiven to the faithful one who is righteous on behalf of his people. Amen. Many years later, the same Peter, writing to a group of Christians, was instructing them on how they ought to live as Christians in a really bad government in First Peter. You want to know how to live in a bad country? Read First Peter because that's what it's all about. Amen. And Peter said, this is what you were called to. You're a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth praises of him who has called you into do- out of darkness into his marvelous life. You used to not be a people, but now you are a people because you've obtained mercy. But then Peter speaks of this very night. In verse 21, he says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Right. Amen. Peter thought about all that Christ had endured. And he said, you need to be faithful in a bad situation because your Lord was faithful in even a worse situation. That's right. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Peter... Of all things, come back to this night to talk about how Christians ought to live. Isn't that interesting? Of all, the, of all the things that Peter could have said, he said, No, you need to do this, you need to be faithful, because look what Christ did while he's out warming himself by the fire. Yeah. Peter didn't try to spin it, he didn't try to, he didn't even mention himself. You know what his thought was about? What Christ had done for him. Because then he says who his own self bear our sins, not your sins, he said, our sins, in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For we are as sheep going astray, but now are returned to the shepherd and bishops of your soul. Amen. Peter thought about Jesus there, and he thought about himself, and you know what he thought about himself? I was a sheep gone astray but my shepherd and the bishop of my soul cleansed me by his stripes and saved me and restored me. He didn't let me go. He didn't let me fall away. That's how Peter looked at this. And I think that's instructive for us. I ask you, is there anything that makes you cringe? Well, what do you do? Do you beat yourself up or do you go to the Lamb of God? I think that's what Peter did. Yes. Do you hate yourself or do you hate your sin and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for cleansing me. And I'm going to rest in your promises. I'm going to rest in your grace because you have done it all. And all to you is owed. You want to be faithful. You want to be stirred in the spirit. You want to stand against temptation. Don't be like the disciples and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to do it. Do like Peter after the fact and look to Jesus. And remember what Jesus did for you. Remember what he saved you from. Remember what he's doing for you. And that will stir you. And that will stir your soul unto faithfulness. Because that's what Peter did. That's Here's how you ought to live, but remember Jesus. Remember what he did for you. I am so thankful for the act of obedience of Christ. No hope without it. And Lord, I had to